Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, it's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways. Accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, easy to use. Uh, actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, you can see your stats on the app and online. And you can check them out at rapidshot.com. Uh, great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now. Uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, a lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot, thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. On the podcast today, we bring on Sean Skinner, a little bit of a legend for me as I was growing up. I remember being in the back of my parents' van and watching Sean's DVDs on stick handling and skating and everything. Uh, so I'm really excited to, to bring you on here, Sean. Wow. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure to be here. Absolutely. I feel like you're you're the, the OG, as they call it, the original guy uh, <laughs> with so all of the skills. The people are like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. My four-year-old daughter watches you all the time. Dribble, dribble, fake wide. Dribble, dribble, fake wide. <laughs> yeah, a lot of fun and, and definitely uh, gave me the I, – I was known for my hands. So I, I, I would say you're, you're the reason why. So, wow, what an honor. Yeah, cool. Yeah, let's let's start with some background. How did you get into skills and, and being probably one of the, the first, if not like the only back in the day, of ones putting out content to the world? So I, I grew up in uh, Detroit, suburb of Detroit. I was a player. I wasn't so good. Matter of fact, when I started, I was the worst kid on the ice. And my father would send me to summer hockey school. And I don't mean like just like a camp. <laughs> I remember sitting down uh, playing basketball with him and he sat me down. And he goes, uh, you want to go to camp? <laughs> I'm like, sure. <laughs> so camp for my father meant, it. well, one camp was four hours a day and he signed me up for two. So I went for eight hours a day and then he signed me up for six to eight weeks. And that was for like 10 years. <laughs> so every summer I would go play hockey all summer. And, uh, and then I would uh, come back to the team. Be, Skinner, what'd you do with your kid? Oh my God. He's so much better than last year. And then every summer I, I would get a year's worth of hockey in, in one summer season and come back. So I was doubling up on everybody. And I was a skilled player uh, like you. And uh, then I, when I, you know, when I finished, I went into coaching. I, I was running camps as a player. And then that was the only thing I knew to make money. So what gave you the push then to go from, I'm just doing these camps into, I'm going to produce. Like nowadays, it's really easy for people to grab an iPhone, post it online. The, yeah, this content. is really cool. I'll tell you, I knew a lot, uh, but I didn't know everything about hockey. So I'm going into this profession. I'm starting to coach. And I found out there were videos and DVDs. I never grew up with anything like that as, as a player. I never had private lessons. I didn't have any of this. And and so they gave me some videos and I was like a sponge. Uh, I soaked it up and then I got more. 
And then I got some from Sweden and some from Finland and some from Russia. And I just started a collection, like a like a personal library. But and I started watching the videos. I mean, like when I made the skating DVD series, there were only 60 videos combined in worldwide for instruction on skating total. If you want to make a golf video, there's 8,000 golf videos. You, you couldn't, if you watched one a day, you couldn't watch them all in five years, you know? Um, so uh, I watched them all and I, I watched a few in the beginning and they were like 30 minutes long, 20 minutes long. And they were like, crossovers are an integral part of the game and should be used when crossing over. I'm like, that's it? Like, what about the technique? What about how to do it? What about 10 drills? You know, and so I, I just started collecting and putting it together. And so I, I can almost tell you from the get-go, I had this desire to make a video because what I saw, I thought I knew more. I didn't think I knew everything, but I was like, so then I started collecting and I tried uh, a few whacks at it. I had a high school senior make a project for me. I moved to another city. I had a, a TV station do it for me. And finally, I said, I don't know anything. I don't know more about anything else than this. I'm going to put all my money into um, professionally hiring a company and doing it. And so that stick handling DVD series was the first one we made on VHS, 1998. <laughs> and uh, that one... Uh, was an incredible success. Like it, it lifted me um, all over the world. Yeah, and you, you've been a well-traveled man. Um, now you're picking up coffee that you can't get anywhere other than in Russia. So <laughs> clearly you've been around. I'm curious what that's been like traveling the world, doing hockey for a living, and, and just maybe what are some of the, the differences culturally that feed into how hockey is played in different countries amazing experiences i feel i pinch myself every morning like am i awake am i really living this life i think now i've worked in more countries than any other uh, coach uh, in the world and i don't mean like so there's coaches that coach a team and they get to go to another country because you know, they, they're sent from their country. Like the Russians play in, let's say, the world championships, and then they go to the world champion to the coach team. I mean, invited from other countries to come teach in their country. So there's like 68 countries with hockey in the world, and I've taught in like 48 of them. And just some amazing stories. I'll, I'll share some unique things like, you know, in, in China – um, you have to take your slippers, you have to take your shoes off before you go in the house. So we're in China and uh, they have a 10,000 seat arena. They have slippers for everybody <laughs> out in the middle of China because that's the custom and everyone that comes for the arena. And then it came to dry land and uh, we're in the weight room doing squats and doing plyometric jumps and all this stuff. And we had to take our shoes off because inside you don't wear your shoes. A little dangerous. <laughs> A little dangerous. Yes. Putting it lightly there. So um, you got uh, warm ups for the hockey all around the world. Everyone like, let's say they do soccer, right? It's just common. They, they all the Europeans do it. Um, maybe you'll see a few people in America skip a rope or, uh, 
we might dribble a golf ball or something like that. That's because we copy Sweden. What do they do? I'm in ba I'm in China and I come in and the kids are playing ping pong. <laughs> Why not? Chinese ping pong. Or, or, or what was the and what and the other time it was badminton. Chinese badminton. And I used to always make these jokes. I like, if you're not gonna play hockey right, go play badminton or something like that. <laughs> and here they are playing badminton. Uh that's that's funny. And uh, we had Ted Soikinen on one podcast, and he was mentioning uh, in Russia that the parents are not allowed to watch practice at much at many of the clubs. Uh, it's it just fascinating how it's different in all these countries. And like you said with the badminton story, you know, you think about it one way in this country, and maybe that's accepted somewhere else. Yeah, I, I, would have, I was coming. I walked in. I was like, "What are you guys doing, badminton?" But uh, ch check this out in Russia. You can't coach the four-year-olds without a four-year degree. You have to have a degree in coaching. You have to have a coaching card. So coaches in, in Russia are highly trained, not just in skills, tactics, systems, psychology, uh, dry land. Um, I'll tell you something funny. I was at the was speaking at the World Championships in, in Europe, and the way the World Championships work is they go to a different uh, country – every year and then each country sends a delegate so i'm sitting at a table with representatives from like 10 different countries i said to the guy next to me i go who does your power skating for you nobody answers i'm like what, what won't they answer who does their power skating and the guy next to me leans over and he goes what's what's power skating <laughs> and i'm like you know the skating for hockey and they all look at me and they're like well, the coach does. Who else would teach that? I'm like, oh, well, see, in America, we got father coaches who don't know enough about uh, hockey. So they got to hire a specialist to come in to teach skating. But in these other countries, no, the, the coach is trained in highly trained. So parents don't say uh, boo, right? It's like uh, can't question the coach. Yeah, it's it's fascinating how that works, and, and I'm, I'm curious. It, it seems like with you and Ted Soikin and a few others, um, North American coaches are, are making it over to Europe and around the world, and having great success with it. I'm, I'm curious why you think that. You know, they send over coaches, we send over coaches, but it seems like more coaches stick going from North America to elsewhere rather than elsewhere to North America. Any, any thoughts on that? Yeah. You know, language is a big, big thing. They're, the Russians are really so skilled. Um, it's, the, it's an easy case. You could go back and look at the, the NHL has the individual skill awards. So uh, every year you'd look at the Russian and the import players and they would win 75% of the individual skill awards. And they only represented like 13% of the NHL. Uh, like the top player on almost every team it could be a Russian or an import player or something like that. So they focus on skill training and uh, problem is with the language. Look at Seattle came out this year with the new pro team, right? They publicly came out and said, we are, we will not take a Russian. Generally when I travel around the world, I go to France. Okay. So you go into Starbucks and, uh, 
it's in French and English. You go into uh, Germany, it's in Deutsch and English. And you go into Russian, and it's in Russian. And you turn on the TV, and it's only Russian. Russia's massive. Canada fits inside Russia three times. They don't believe they need anything else or another language or anything. They're Russian. Superpower. <laughs> we, we think we're the only ones. There's other people that think that they're the only ones. And so it's, it, it's hard to deal with that language. But when you go over there and train them, the kids are so good. The kids are so serious. It's a, I, the first time I was teaching in Moscow for SESCA, it's a Red Arm, Russian Red Army team, I do this all over the world and I'm teaching and, and, you know, when you do something for rote, it's easy. So we're kind of like laughing, we're smiling, we're joking, we're coming down the ice, we're stick healing, la, da, 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 you know, and uh, the general manager comes down and the president comes down and the, and the coach at Skinner, come over here. I'm like, yeah, what? He goes, this is Russia. In Russia, hockey is serious. There's no smiling. There's no laughing. Get back to work. I was like, you have all right. Okay. <laughs> and uh, I had, uh, I had kids this year in New Jersey. I was doing a session and they, they were goofing off the, and this was triple A kids. So I stopped the class. I wasted on ice time to tell them this story. And so that they would then practice seriously, like the other Russians, like the competitors. And you know what the kid's response was? This kid in the back goes, Hey, coach Skinner, you want to hear a joke? I was like, what? A joke. I'm telling you that we got to practice seriously here. You're going to tell me a joke? Why don't we tell jokes on the ice? Because you could crack it up. Oh, (laughs) man. Oh, my God. You guys. (laughs) This is exactly why we want to go to Russia and work with the kids. They're uh, (laughs) focused, ready to train. That's hilarious. That's that's really good. There's another story I say is that um, when... When an American child comes to the bench, the mom runs over the door. Oh, son, are you thirsty? Are you tired? Would you like to sit down? He thinks a second. Yes, I'm thirsty. Go get me a Coke. I'm going to sit down. You know, and then when a Russian mom comes to the to the boards, the kid's trying to get off the ice says, are you having fun out there? Stay out there. I'll be back in a couple hours. It's like it's like what the parent says to the kid registers in the mind and then and then and then they act out accordingly like you don't have a choice stay on the ice keep practicing I'll be back. That's good. And and talking about Russia there's a lot of people um with with Anatoly Tarasov mm-hmm. who was a motivating factor and truly changed the game worldwide. Uh, it seems like Russia maybe has gone away a little bit from his principles but there's still so many great elements to be learned from him. I'm curious uh, if we could dive into him and his influence. And and I know you've got a great story about off-ice training as well. Yeah, you got to read. Everyone in hockey needs to read this book. It's called Road to Mount Olympus. It's only like 70 pages. This is like a pamphlet, not even a book. It's the history of him. So interesting thing is, uh, you know, Russians – First competition, international competition, 1948. They were into dance and ballet. They weren't into ice hockey. Um, they came in in the 60s. Tarasov was the coach. He, he didn't copy anybody else. 
he didn't copy the Canadians or the Americans or the Europeans. He started his own like plays, his own game. So he comes in in the 60s, and, and the book describes this. For three years, he wins the, the champions, every, every Olympics and every world championships for 10 years. From 1960 to like 72, okay? He, um, he says after three years, he goes, well, they know my systems. I have to change it. He changes his hockey system. And he plays another way for three years. And he, he says, oh, they know my system. I got to change again. He does this three times. Uh, generally, hockey has never changed in 50 to 70 years. One guy goes in, four checks. Second guy backs him up. You know, uh, two, one, two, 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 one, two. It's like we play in the same way. Um, also, he said it's a team. There should be no individual uh, 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 better than the whole team. So when they came to the first world championships and they won, they were hard pressed to, to pick who was the best. And he talks about how picking who was the best, the MVP, actually started to ruin everything <laughs> because it promoted one player over another. And he didn't want that. He wanted a it's a team game, everybody to be the same. Maybe that's a Russian influence there, but um, he wanted to prove to everybody one time, you, you mentioned this interesting study. He wanted to prove how important dryland training was. In the 70s, he took two Red Army teams of equal ability. They were playing each other. One would win four to three, the other win four to three. Um, Lou Vero actually told me this from USA Hockey, one of our uh, Olympic coaches, and he was personal friends with Tarasov. I never got a chance to meet him. Um, but, um, he said, I'm going to take one team and do only dry land training. And the other team's going to do only on ice training. So for eight weeks, he did only dry land. The other team did on ice and he got one, two hour on ice practice before they played. And the dry land team beat him like by eight, eight points. Uh, just, uh, so this was a amazing, um, demonstration Everybody was convinced. And then American picked up dry land, America, Canada. And what do we do? Weightlifting at first. Even USA Hockey, when we started that Ann Arbor Training Center, the first thing we had in there was a boxing ring and, and this. And after it, many interchanges with the European hockey and everything, they took out the boxing ring. They put in a dry land skills training area for skills and uh, and eventually we switched and weight training turned into core training and strength training, performance-based training and skill training. So uh, I, I saw some amazing uh, uh, teaching in Czech Republic where uh, their dry land training considered, uh, consists of tactics. They would take a team handball and they would go through two-on-ones and two-on-twos and three-on-twos and positional plays, all dry land. Because uh, it's a free, open uh, environment where you can teach, you can make a long explanation, no cost. You get on the ice, and then you just call out what we learned in dryland, and uh, fantastic uh, stuff to to pick up when you when you go around the world like that. That's fascinating. And the checks, I, I really like that how they're actually teaching tactics off ice, not just skills. Uh, both are important. You got you got to be able to. Executed, but you need to be able to think it first. So, so that's yeah. excellent. 
I saw I saw one time where they were not only working on two on ones, uh, but they they decided to. Um, I, I think actually this comes from uh, Tarasov. They have guys on their shoulders, so they're working leg strength. <laughs> Guys on their shoulder passing the ball back and forth to another guy on his shoulder, and the defenseman's going backwards with a guy on his shoulder trying to play defense. <laughs> uh, I've definitely seen a picture of Tarasov doing that in training, and then he would do a lot of the wheelbarrows. And uh, in I mean, 1960, weights- the uh, Russians, 70, 72, but it was the 60s they were training. They were uh, jumping rope while stick handling and dribbling. And our our guys were worried about uh, smoking and drinking, you know. And there's a there's a paper that circulated where where uh, the Mont the Toronto Maple Leafs sent out a, a letter for preseason training camp, where it says, "I hope you guys come in shape this summer, because uh, we're really going to fight for these positions, and you need to be able to do like ten push-ups." <laughs> it was like what and don't remember don't forget to bring your golf clubs because remember we're gonna be playing some golf too at these tryouts change times that, that's yeah. what we have now much change times there, there's no such thing as a, as a true off season where you can just do whatever you want whenever you want until hockey season rolls around uh youth we should definitely have that happening but uh, not at the nhl yeah absolutely so I'm curious to dive in. You've got this huge knowledge base in your head around stick handling and skating. Um, I'm wondering if we can get some teaching or coaching hacks to, to help players pick up some serious uh, talent, techniques, whatever, some, some key elements. So maybe we start with uh, if you have any coaching and teaching hacks. Uh, and if you know, after that, we can maybe dive into yeah. the key so elements. So there's, there's a quote that I always had. Um, one is, uh, it's perfect practice makes perfect. It's not practice. Coming out for eight hours, doing it wrong is going to make it wrong. Better that you come out for one hour and do it correctly first. That's the first thing. We always said with the videos, you know, seeing it once is better than hearing it a thousand times. So it, it's so great to see it done properly or to even see yourself. Film yourself and look at what you look like. Even your parents nowadays can film a shift. And and I remember the first time I saw myself skate, I was like, oh, oh, <laughs> standing there looking like that. That wasn't fighting for the puck. And real quick, you don't even need someone to say correction. That's a whole nother level. You can just you watch it yourself because you watch NHL and you see the guy flying for 30 seconds here and there and everywhere and getting off the ice fast. And you're like, oh, OK, I got to skate like that. So so that's the other thing. I have this uh, I'm a skills coach. And I actually use this not only for skills, but tactics and systems. I have what's called the rule of tens. And I think this is the key in, 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 in my personal teaching. Um, but I say, you don't own anything. You can't really do it until you can do it 10 times without a mistake. Well, what does that mean? So these kids, they go like this. They go, dad, pick a corner. You're shooting, right? And they've been practicing all day and they want to show off their shooting. And they go like, okay, shoot the lower left. No, 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 dad. I said, hey, pick a corner. Uh, lower right. 
No, 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 no. Dad, pick a corner. I want to show you my upper right. Watch this. Boom. And they try to shoot it. And uh, so they want to show like one up upper corner, of course. Uh, but I say to a kid like, okay, shoot to the upper right 10 times in a row. Not all over the, the net. And they shoot. And so they get like three out of 10. And I'll say, uh, or, or if I'm doing tactics, even like a two-on-one, I'll do it 10 times with the team without them knowing the first time. And, and then I'll blow the whistle and call them in. And I'll say, okay, you don't know it, but we just did that 10 times. And they do it right three out of 10 times. And I say to them, you did it right three out of 10 times. Can some smart guy here give me a percentage? Well, yeah, right away. They had 30%. I go, oh, very good, good. Now, can you give me a grade in school for that? Oh, let's see. That's an F. I said, no, no, that's not an F. An F is 60%. I wish you were at 60%. Then I would have something to work with here, but you're not. You're at 30%. So I don't have anything to work it with at all. Let's see if we can get up to 60%. But what is 60%? 60% is right next to 50%. And 50% is flipping the coin. That is called getting lucky. So why don't we see your two on one? Why don't we see your shot in the game? Because you're only doing six out of 10. It is lucky. If you want to perform, if you want to do it to win, you got to be nine out of 10 or 10 out of 10. Pro basketball player shoots a free throw. 10 out of 10. Because nine, that's why he's a pro basketball player. I have a, a, a situation that happened. I think uh, a lot of your clientele is in Ohio. It would be so fitting to tell you this. I did a pro camp where Rinsky was in the camp. And we were stick handling. We were doing some high-end speed training where you had to make two fakes on the edge out of control as fast as you could. You had to do it correctly without losing the puck. And take a shot and hit the net. Just hit the net. So again, we, we went, we did it 10 times and I went down the line. I asked this kid where he was at. Um, in these pro camps, you have some players that are pros, some that are college, some that are juniors, some aspiring to be pros. So I asked this guy and he's three for 10. Another guy's five for 10, six for 10. I don't know if we had a guy that was even six for 10. And I came up to Wierenski who was in the front of the line. And I go, how many times did you do it? Correct. And he goes, do it correct. I scored every single one of them. Besides, he made two moves and the edge out of control. He scored all 10 shots, not even just hit the net. And I looked down the line, everybody and I said, see why he's first round draft pick and you guys are not. <laughs> you need to move from three out of 10, five out of 10 to 10 out of 10. And then you'll be a pro player. More practice, more practice. A lot of that off ice stuff, right? Yeah. You can't get enough of that. But how you practice is what I'm trying to say. So so whatever you do, do it in sets of 10. Give yourself a grade. Reevaluate. You know what a practice is? Check this out. I call practices dress rehearsals. You're never practicing. None of these kids are practicing, even AAA team. So you come in for an hour. What do you got? Four teams on that, four lines on that team. Coach, a good coach has to do like seven drills in an hour, right? You got to do like five to seven minutes, five to seven minutes, switch five. To, you got a warm up drill. You got a conclusion drill. You got five to seven drills. So you're going to do four chances to do the two on one, four chances to do the one on one, four chances to do the three on two. 
four chances to do the power play, four chances to do the penalty kill, right? You get done. And what have you done? If I told you, okay, tomorrow, get ready for practice. We're going to hammer out the free throw. We're going to really work it. Okay. You're going to take four free throws tomorrow. <laughs> Are you really going to work it? These practices from the highest level at the best coaches become dress rehearsals. You haven't really worked anything. If you want to work it, you're going to do the two-on-one 10 times. You're going to call everybody in and said, hey, you only got right three out of 10 times. Let's do it another 10. Let's do it another 10. Let's get it until we get it nine out of 10. Let's do that with a skill. Let's do it um, till, till we get per that perfection. And then we'll get performance. Yeah, I feel like that's why that off-ice component is, is so crucial. As coaches, they have an agenda and they've got a whole team. They have to keep it moving a little bit. Meanwhile, off ice, you can really nitpick on the details, take your time, go through all of that, and really up the success rate to a level where you're happy with that and able to transfer it onto the ice. So uh, I feel like the key is really going beyond what you're doing with your team and how you practice away from the rink. That's really well said because I got to say, I'm going around all these hockey practices and I see everyone doing all this strength and conditioning. I see these stupid, I'm calling them stupid quick foot ladders because these kids can't pass. They can't stick handle. They can't shoot. They can't skate. And we're forcing them to do uh, athletic skills that you're supposed to bring to the sport. That's on your own time. You can't come to practice to do a quick foot ladder. Could you imagine if basketball, uh, you, well, first, you never see quick foot ladder at baseball or basketball. At baseball and basketball, you're doing those skills of that sport. Could you imagine if they did not shoot free throws for practice and did a quick foot ladder instead? If in baseball, they took out the pitching mounds and the batting cages and did quick foot ladders instead. That's what we're doing in ice hockey. That strength coach is using his skill. He needs to make money, so he sold you. The coach doesn't know what skills or tactics to do, so he's doing quick foot ladders. And these kids can't pass, shoot, stick, handle, skate, let alone maybe tactics. That's uh, stuff that they, they they need to do with the team and individual. And the, and the athletic skill stuff you do on your own, you bring to the sport. So what do you think holds players back from improving and really jumping up their, their talent level from whatever level they are to where they want to be. Now I think we're really seeing an explosion. All these home practice units, practice rinks, dry land training, skills, camps, even coaches. Coaches, are they know more now, and they're doing better jobs. So they're even doing their own camps. And... Uh, and we've got some great high-level teams, even kids that are excelling from Florida and California and Texas. So, so I think it's, it's the other way around. I think people are excelling now. One, one thing I thought was really interesting, when, when we had the Olympics, 94 or, or 2004, the Summer Olympics, we're in, was it Atlanta, something like that? Anyways, USA, we ran ads across the TV. It said, America, uh, we don't send our athletes to the Olympics. You do. 
And it was so true. So what happens in these foreign countries? As long as you play well, the government pays for you. The kids in Russia don't pay for hockey. The government pays for hockey. They have an adult hockey league, adults playing regularly. Putin pays for everyone to pay to play. And they complain. People still complain. I don't like my hotel. I don't like my, but it's for free. And uh, we pay for everything. So what can you do? If you look at that, America, we don't send our athletes to Olympics. You do. If you're an elite gymnast, you can go out and go train with Beta Caroli. You can go get as many lessons, as many training sessions as you want. You can become hockey. You can go to every hockey school. You can go move to this AAA club. You can go play. And everything you can afford to do so you can make it. And that's what we find. Um, highly skilled kids coming out of California that don't think the game right because they've done every skills camp in the world but they haven't done training like in tactics and systems. Sounds like they need the hockey IQ podcast and hockey IQ newsletters. That's what I'm, yeah. I'm hearing from that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And no, I'm curious. So it's definitely different in the world and how things are funded in different systems. You got your team-based club-based grassroots, whatever you want to call it. I'm curious. Uh, I feel like this, this has definitely got to be an across the board, um, question between the, the parent push and the player desire uh, and how that comes in. Yeah. Um, get, let me, I'm going to answer that question. I just had another thought. It's, it's just good to share right now when we were talking about the different uh, countries. So I want to say another thing about Canada and U.S. You know, like we say, we can we can afford, we can pay for it. We can get as good as, as we want, as much as we pay ourselves. So check this out. Um, if you want to become a better coach, you have to go study. You have to go learn on your own. You have to pay for the video. You have to pay for the class. You have to pay for the instruction. So Canadian, uh, so the Swedish Hockey Federation called me and they wanted me to do uh, uh, come and speak for them at the World Championships on skating. And I said to him, I go, you mean stick handling, right? They go, no, 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 skating. I'm like, sure, sure, right, okay, stick handling. I, I, I did skating and stick handling my whole life, but uh, at that time I had made the stick handling DVD series and 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 so I was known more as a stick healing coach. But they said, no, no, no. We researched the whole world around. You're the guy for skating. I'm like, OK. Six months went by. They're like, how's the lecture going? Are you getting ready? Um, I'm like, yeah. And I go, you mean a stick healing, right? They go, no, 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 skating. <laughs> a couple of weeks before they called and like you got the ticket and everything. And and I'm like, stick healing, right? They go, no, no, skating. So um, I went there and did it. They they loved the presentation and they hired me. I worked for the Swedish Federation for like three years. They found a wealthy person to fund the project to make instructional DVDs for every coach and every player in the country. So it came over there. We shot the videos um, and they translated all into Swedish. And then they gave a DVD to every single player and coach in the country. No one had to go find it. No one had to buy it. They said, look, we want to increase uh, our coaches and increase our players. 
So we're going to pay for it. We're going to do it. Just a, just a whole different uh, idea of how to take care of everybody versus over here, you got to do it your own. Okay, let's come back to your question. Uh, Want to state it again? Yeah, where we're going between the, the parent push and kind of the player pull and how that interacts um, and how you see that uh, unfolding in, in, in the industry or the game. I used to always say like this, um, these parents are, they think they're in control, like a gambler. Oh, I figured out how to win. Let me go back to the money machine and, and get some more money out until eventually they're going to the pawn shop and they're pawning everything and they keep going back and they keep spending money um, gambling. And uh, the parents the same way. Oh, if I get my kid with this camp, if I get my kid on this team, he will make it. If I get my kid here, you know, and I push him, I make him play here. Uh, if I uh, train him all the way in the car on the way to the game and on the way home, you know, I'll make him this thing. And uh, I think the kid has to buy into it himself. It's eight o'clock. So uh, you see at a younger age, you have, to, you have to train kids. You have to teach them and you have to force them. And, uh, and then as you go through it, as they get older, you have to release and they have to own it themselves and they have to do it themselves. So I say to the, uh, to the parent that's working with a young child, says, I have a six-year-old. How long can I practice with them? And you know, like a young child has, let's say, a 15-minute attention span. And I say to him, 10 minutes. Like, what do you mean? I go, you can train him for 10 minutes because he's interested. He wants to do it. And you take him to 16 minutes and he cries and you've wasted everything. But you take him to 10 minutes and you say, oh, we're done. We got to stop. No, no, no. I want to keep going. Okay, you can keep going if you want to on your own, but I got to go right now. The kid stays for four more minutes, practice on own. That four minutes turns into 14 more minutes, and he trains, he practices. It's just a little switch. You take the, you press the kid, the child, the player too much. It becomes a painful and awful situation. You have to drive too far. You have to skate too much, and they don't own it and want it themselves. It's a key of motivating them to keep them on the edge of, oh, you want to do this? Okay, we'll go. You want to train more? Okay, I'll stay and watch. But if you keep forcing them, then they don't want to do it. You're forcing them. It's fascinating how you're ending at the most excitement. Like you're going out at the top, which encourages the child to want to do more. Like, no, no, I don't want to stop quite yet. I think that's a fascinating concept that, that I have yet to hear from, from someone else. Yeah. Makes it a lot of fun. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like that might be the same thing with uh, a lot of things in life where, where you want to maybe end a little bit early rather than a little bit late. Yeah. If you do something and you're not succeeding at it, you're not going to want to keep doing that. <laughs> not at all. So the, the the last piece I want to touch on is the skating video. So you produced the ultimate hockey skating uh, DVD series, which was, I want to say, ridiculously long, but extremely comprehensive given the times. Eighteen long? and a half hours. Ten, ten DVDs, 18 and a half hours. Each DVD is two hours long. 
Uh, I hope that's it's on a streaming platform these days. Uh, I don't even think DVDs, uh, DVD players exist unless you got it five years ago. These kids come up to me. They go, Coach Skinner, what's a DVD? (laughs) All 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 my new computers don't even have DVD uh, readers, CD readers. Like I've got clients give me estate documents and I'm like, uh, I'm going to have to find something to rip this off of because we don't have it here at the office. Even 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 myself, I really don't have DVDs anymore. They're all VODs, video on demands. The, but the important thing is the instruction. And, and what I did, uh, nothing uh, rocket science. I just I paid attention in school. They taught us how to write a research paper. And I saw all these videos, all these DVDs, all these books, all these articles. And I, I did a research paper. As a matter of fact, uh, unlike uh, most videos and DVDs, I put a bibliography in the DVD. I, saw, I cited all the sources that I took from, and um, I collected it all into one place. So the DVDs are organized in chapters, uh, 15 to 20 minutes at a time, uh, eight chapters per DVD, and uh, all those exercises in a progression per chapter. I learned so much myself making the DVD series. Even I was running a practice uh, 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 a couple of years ago, and I I had to go back and watch my own DVD to uh, remember what to teach. And I'm watching myself on the screen, and I'm like, what? What is he saying? I know that? I didn't even remember that I said that. I'm taking notes for myself. I was like, that was well researched <laughs> and can't remember all this stuff i made over over 20 dvds like it's uh, a lot of material but it's out there if someone wants to practice if someone wants to coach i uh, i took everything from all over the world i cited uh, where it came from i cited the website the equipment where it was made how to get it who's teaching it and uh, and then I would show like, OK, here's the I call it the Russian way or the Rocky way. You know, Hollywood, we got uh, the um, the boxing movies uh, and uh, Rocky. So it's it tells you that uh, America does everything by science. I mean, by by training with rocks, Rocky and uh, the Russians, they got drugs and science and they got computer machines and their training. And actually, I can tell you from the experience of what I've seen, it's the other way around. <laughs> we have the science and the machines. They're the ones uh, stick handling through the forest with uh, with rocks instead of real balls or something. Um, Hollywood always lied to us. Uh, but the Russian way or the Rocky way. So you can buy the uh, piece of equipment, uh, slide boards, very important training tool. The, the top one, probably $350. And we made my first one at home for 30 bucks. We went down to Home Depot and bought the Formica counter and the plywood and we glued it on and put bumpers on. There's always a, an ex, a cheap way and an expensive way to do everything. So you have no excuse. You can always really practice. Just make the equipment on your own or buy it. So I'm curious, you've, you've done all of this research, you've become an expert, you've traveled around the world. You know, what, it, what is a thing or two in skating that you can teach everyone in 
30 seconds? Like what would be maybe like the item? Like if you're talking on skating, I'm going to definitely touch on this and this. Yeah. So let's look at uh, what we're all about speed. Uh, our sport is about speed. Everyone wants to skate faster. So let's say I got two players, like a player A that skates faster than player B. I actually want player B maybe instead of player A. Why? Player B accelerates faster than player A. Player A skates faster, but player B accelerates faster. Key in our game is acceleration, stops and starts. We don't have long races for the puck. We have short, quick races from the front of the net to the corner, from the corner out to the blue line, from the blue line in, you know, so it's these short, quick races. It's all about acceleration. And we should really focus there first, starting and stopping, quick agility. Well, I think that's going to be what I'm going to say. Uh, there's There's so many aspects to skating. You know, uh, they say like six aspects. You got uh, forwards, edges, and crossovers, backwards, edges, and crossovers, long stride or, or forward skating. You got stops and starts, acceleration. You have agility and tight turns. So you go to a hockey camp, a, a good skating camp. Let's say you need to work on your pivoting. Well, a good hockey camp is going to do one of these aspects every single day. And then you're going to work on pivoting for five minutes on Thursday. <laughs> but you need five days of pivoting because because it's, it's not just skating that you need. You need exactly this skating. So it's it's voluminous. Like It's the biggest. That DVD series, VOD now, it's the largest single production ever done in the history of ice hockey. It's, it's it really, pretty massive. I'm curious yeah. from all of that study, all of the videos, if like I found that outside edges traditionally are extremely underdeveloped. Have you found any big deficiencies in, in players? You, you know uh, what I see in the skating department? They got all these things cross unders instead of crossovers different ways to describe it really there's two pushes you cross over you you push with one leg you push with the leg underneath i like to say crossover push under um but uh one thing i found i actually researched for 20 years before i made the skating dvd series I hosted two international skating symposiums where I brought in the top skating coaches, the top strength and conditioning coaches from all over the world. And uh, I just was constantly gathering all this information because I didn't want to produce something where I would say it wrong. And I finally, I wanted a, a video camera to film the player from the front, from the side, from the top. I wanted a computer to analyze it. I wanted the computer to print out why player one was faster than player 10 and uh, phenomenal research that would cost like millions. <laughs> and finally, I figured out that this skating coach in Vancouver made pro players and this skating coach in Boston made pro players and this skating coach in Colorado did it. And each of them were saying something totally different. <laughs> Every skating coach has their own way but they all have a progression of exercises. 
So I found that if you as a, as a skater will study under, under these trainers and you will learn all the different ways to move, forget about what they're saying because they're all saying something different, including federations. If you take stop starting, acceleration, how do you start? One place says three short strides. One place says a short, a medium, and long stride. Another country says uh, three long steps. One person says running on the balls of your foot. One person says on the flat of the blade. Another person says you're on your toes. If you actually studied starting, you'd be more confused at the end. Better to not study it. (laughs) But if you go out and you practice, because we learn by doing, and you learn all the exercises, because usually a pro coach has like 10 to 15 different exercises for each skill set. Then all of a sudden you're starting, starting fast and quickly. And so I found I just have to take these progression of exercises from all over the world, from each skating coach and put it into a progression. And then I produced it without a million dollars of uh, uh, computer research. I did, I did actually find a way to film the hockey player. We put the video camera up on the roof of a a NHL uh, arena and we filmed the player from above, from the side, from the front. We just didn't have the computer uh, uh, spit out the, uh, the model. There's like you said, there's the expensive way and the cheap way. And it's just a matter of desire. So love, love hearing that. Uh, I just want to end on on what you're known for, probably the most out there, uh, the stick handling. You know, what what are the keys to being a, a good stick handler? Uh, I always remember you got to have that top hand out in front of you and be able to move at any direction at any time. Really interesting topic in what you said. If you looked at the best players in every sport, okay, uh, the best soccer players, the best basketball players, best hockey player, the best players in each sport are the ones that handle the ball the best. So look at, if you ran through a list of the NHL greats, the best players in ice hockey, the ones who scored the most points, uh, it's by far and large, they're all stick handlers. Gretzky, Lemieux, Iserman, Messier. Occasionally you get a shooter in there. Let's say like Brett Hall, chair uh uh you get sometimes you get a defenseman that excels at a skill checking defensive play but by and far large the best players in the history of our game are the stick handlers top three paid players on every team are your stick handlers and the best you could extrapolate that down to your bantam team to your under 12 team to to whatever so so this is a very important skill set if you want to be the best um, it's not the only skill set because you could be there by tactics or positioning, but but um, very important. And what I saw was that every rink has a skating coach or five, and there were very few stick handling coaches in the world. So I decided to separate myself and just focus on the stick handling. It was a little easier than than the hard skating. <laughs> and, um, you know, I made these d- d- videos. And I got hired by Canadian Hockey 
Canadian hockey bought 100 sets. They built 100 skilled training centers all across the country. They had me come in and train the coaches to run each place. I got hired by the Montreal Canadiens, did a preseason training camp in front of 14,000 fans. Uh, I got to shoot on Carey Price. We had P.K. Subban in line. We had the whole deal. And they bought 50 sets, one for every single player and every coach in the organization. The Swedish Hockey Federation had me make DVDs in Sweden. And then uh, I taught in Japan. They translated the DVDs into Japanese. And I taught in Russia. And interesting because uh, Russia has their own videos, quite a few, all in Russian. And they never, they never translated any DVD in the history of ice hockey. Anyone could, I could pay to do it. Like I could have told you that, look, uh, I paid to put it into French and I paid to put it into Swedish, and I, but I didn't pay. These countries did. The Russians actually took and translated all of my DVDs into Russian. And uh, I'm actually more famous in Russia than anywhere else uh, because they, they said like the same thing you said. I grew up learning to play hockey from your DVDs. So I get uh, asked for autographs all the time in Russia. And I was, I was training there this summer and I was walking down the street and I'm like, I always have this thing. I'm, I'm somewhere in the world and no one knows me and no one can find me. And, and, and then walking down the street in Moscow and someone goes, Coach Skinner? And I'm like turning my head like, what? Who knows me here? <laughs> and then the, the very next week it happened, the same thing happened in St. Petersburg. And I was like, what, really? I'm out in the middle of public. So it was kind of funny. Uh, but stick handling. I'm I'm probably known all over the world for it, uh, just because the the DVDs went uh, all over the world. So same thing with the skating. If you had to distill one or two key items into stick handling, what what might those be? So the foundation of stick handling is dribbling, like in basketball. In basketball, it's a rule: you can't go down the court without dribbling the ball. But in ice hockey, we dribble the puck, and, and, and by dribbling the puck, short taps of the stick back and forth, then our head comes up, and we look around, and we see the ice. And we say, nothing will happen on the ice until you see it first. You won't shoot to the right pla pla place. You're not even going to know that the person's open to pass to until you see him first. So that the, the process of dribbling the ball, like in basketball, at first you're like batting it down. And then eventually you get quicker and you're dribbling real low. And then all of a sudden you start looking around while you're dribbling. So in ice hockey, the same thing. You have to be able to dribble that puck until your head can come up and you can look around and you're not even looking at the puck anymore. You're dribbling and you're looking around and then you can see the play. That's really the foundation of all of a stick handling. Before we speak about um, going around people, it's not meant to be end-to-end -end rush where you skate through the other team. Passing still beats skating and passing still beats stick handling. But you do need enough skill to win that one-on-one -on -one battle so you can then forward and pass that puck. And that's where it comes in. Um, uh, I think uh, that's going to be one of the founding uh, uh, parts to the whole stick handling thing. And, and what I didn't say earlier, I, I meant to say, is that this is not magic. It, it, you know, the one person's born a stick killer, one person's not. It's a learned skill. It's trained. It's movement patterns. 
and 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 that's part of why I made the video series. Uh, each technique is named. It's a separate technique, and you can practice it over and over. You can get it down. You can be able to do it ten out of ten times, and you can be able to do it faster. And then you can do it moving. And this is something that every player can learn to do. Absolutely, and there's so many techniques that go into it, and you've obviously gone through a lot of them and, and uh people can find you not just in rinks these days but also on zoom it sounds like yeah we're doing zoom sessions funny thing is uh now with this younger generation they're creating new techniques and new moves and i still have to go and learn uh the new one like flip the puck up in the air and spin your stick around uh, 20 times and catch it out of the air I'm going to make a, a a highlight video where the player is standing in the middle in front of the net and he flips the puck up in the air and he spins the stick around and some guy, 230 pounds, six, four comes flying through and checks him right across the ice. Uh, too funny, too funny. But uh, no, I appreciate you coming on here today and taking the time uh, before we let you go. Uh, please tell the people where they can find you and I'll, I'll link everything in the show notes as well, but uh, it's been an honor and a pleasure. Wow. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me uh, on the on the blog. Um, I've got two places you can uh, get me all the time. My website, which is uh, SkinnerHockey.com. Also, it's a uh, link to uh, www.StickHandling.com. And then you can get me on Instagram at CoachSkinner12. And uh, thank you so much, Greg. Hope to see you again. Wonderful. Well, thanks, Sean. Bye, Greg. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode. I know I did. So before we let you go, though, we'd like to remind you to please like our podcast, subscribe to it, give us a follow, uh, and share this with all the hockey people in your life. We really appreciate uh, growing this community, this podcast. Um, remember, we also have a newsletter, the Hockey IQ newsletter as well really excited to continue to grow this. So please help us grow this further by liking, subscribing, following, and sharing uh, with everyone. So appreciate you all. Take care. That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, Hockey'sArsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch a Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.